Joining us right now is a very fine columnist with the um, New Hampshire Union leader. Uh, he worked very briefly at Forbes.com, uh, but they didn't like his style. I'm just kidding. Uh, and he's also an official scorer at Fenway Park, and he's my friend, Mike Shallon. He joins us from Boston. How are you, Michael? And, and, and I'm old enough to remember Forbes Field. So um, there you go. And, you know, speaking of being old enough, uh, I, I turned 65 this week. I will turn 65 this week. And um, uh, one of the benefits of being old is that you get the AARP magazine in the mail. Right. And, and, and I actually got a note out of the AARP uh, magazine this week. Right. It's kind of a where are they now on Andre Dawson. Wow, he and now is he is he over sixty now? Andre sixty four. Sixty four. And Andre is a funeral director in Miami. That's a great. That's that's a good one. That's a good isn't one. That, isn't that something? He's also. It's also. This is also the weekend of the of the Andre Dawson Classic, where the um, black universities get together for Black History Month. And there's the, a tournament in uh, in Miami, right? In Miami. I think it's. I think it's actually in New Orleans. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. Now, you just hit me with that, and I'm going, who else was a funeral director? He wasn't a funeral director, but you remember what used to be on Richie Hebner's baseball card on the back? Oh, he was great. He was a grave digger. Grave digger during the offseason. Yeah, it was the family business. That's uh, Really? I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Richie. The, thing, the, the two things notable about Richie Hebner, aside from being a very good baseball player. Yes, he until was. He got to, until he got to New York anyway, but... He um, he hated New York City. I mean, with a passion. I remember being on the elevator with him in, uh, at the Grand Hyatt in New York, and he says, "My God, I got four days in this place. I can't believe it. he hated." He hated New act. York City. Wow. Oh my goodness! And that's probably had a lot to do with why he was so terrible when he played with the Mets. Now he he also his the bulk of his career was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yep, and yep. then he played for the Phillies, and he ended with the Mets. But, you know, he resurfaced in my life briefly. I'm not going to say that I had any long chats with him or not, but he was the batting coach with the um, uh, Durham Bulls when I moved to Durham in 2001. Oh. Joe Coleman was the pitching coach, Joe mm-hmm. Coleman Jr., who yep. who's the one – there are two graduates – when I say graduates, I use that term loosely – that played at Ted Williams Baseball Camp where I uh-huh. attended in 1967. There are two people that played there, made it to the major leagues. One was Joe Coleman. The other was Stan Thomas. You remember him? Yeah, I remember Stan Thomas. I remember Coleman was a 20-game winner, wasn't he? I think he was with the Tigers one year. Yep. I, yep. Or at least he, he, was a good, he was a solid pitcher. But he was the yeah, pitching was. coach, and Hebner was the batting coach. And I'll tell you something funny. Um, you know, we and this is not funny, we lost Frank Robinson – about 10 days ago. And do you yeah. have any Frank uh, memories or stories? You know, it, it, my, my memories of Frank, you know, I, I think I have a similar story than, than other people uh, uh, do because Frank, as you know, was tough to, to get to know. Yep. And he came across as very brusque, very uh, rude sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but when, he, when he became an, an, a, a, an MLB executive, I would I run in I run into him like you know on the field before All Star games or whatever right and and he he was the type of guy that once he knew you he knew you mm-hmm. and 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 was very um, 
I don't know. I, I look forward. In fact, I think I have a, an old picture somewhere of me on the field with him, um, not put, not posed or anything. Just right. We happen to be in the same picture. And, you know, and I, I agree with what a lot of the people said, uh, is that Frank was bigger than life. Yep. And I think a, a lot of it had to do with his stature because he just, he looked like a statue if you looked at him. And he was straight up and down. And, you know, uh, uh, it, he, he just looked like no other baseball player that I've ever seen. And I think people also forget how great a baseball player he was. Yep. And um, that's the thing that's that, that, true. And, and I did think, like Ted, I did think of him as being bigger than life. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I'm having Mike Boddicker on at 11.05 because I remembered Mike uh, and I, I remember Mike pitched for Frank in 1988 here briefly before the trade to the Red Sox for Kurt Schilling and uh, Brady Anderson. But yep. then, then Mike quickly reminded me, he says, you know, I pitched for him in Rochester in 87. How many managers with his resume, both as a player already and a major league manager, he had managed at two locations, would yeah. go back to AAA to manage again. The, today's managers would never do that. No, no, he was he was just he was a different kind of cat. He just um, well, he'll be he'll be sorely missed. He, so, really, he, he handled the baseball um, the baseball uh, discipline for a while, and if you. If you listen to the to the uh, folklore of him as a player, uh, there was one you know infamous story. I guess was that Frank would pick up two handfuls of dirt at first base, mm-hmm. and and the dirt would fly up in the in the second baseman's face when he was making the double play. <laughs> uh, Frank played the game hard, yep. you know, and, yep. and uh, you know a lot of that stuff gets. Um... Well, by the way, Joe Coleman won twenty games twice. Twice, wow! I've got his record in front of me. From 1971 to 1973, Joe Coleman was both with the Tigers, right? Yeah, six. He was 62 and 38. Right in those in those three years, he won 20 in 71, and he won 23 games in 1973. Yeah, they picked him up in the Denny McLean trade along with Eddie Brinkman. Right. Yeah. Yep, because yep. he was a, he was on bad Washington teams. He had a losing record. Yep. Every year in Washington, which everybody did, he was eight and nine, twelve and sixteen, twelve and thirteen, eight and twelve. And, and his father, his father played in the big leagues briefly, right? He had a cup of coffee. I believe, I believe he did. Yeah. yeah. But the whole Joe Coleman senior thing kind of came as a as a as a uh, footnote. So Joe Coleman, if I recall correctly, the reason Coleman pitched uh, played at Ted Williams baseball camp is because his father may have been on the staff at the camp. Because that camp okay. wasn't cheap, uh, and I have a feeling his father worked on Ted's staff there. I attended in 1967. Coleman was already on his way to the big leagues or in the big leagues uh, briefly, but Stan Thomas was there. He was like one of the senior campers uh, when I was there, and I was 15 years old in 1967. First time mm-hmm. I ever saw Fenway Park. They took us uh, a day trip to Fenway Park, but Frank Robinson was out with the double vision from the uh, collision with Al Weiss, and Kurt Moten was playing left field for the uh, oh, Baltimore yeah, Orioles that day. Yeah. yeah interesting. Uh, since, we, since we continue to reminisce, Joe, Joe Coleman Sr. was an original Oriole. Really? In 54? Yeah. With, with, Sam, with Sam Mealy? 
He was 13 and 17 in 1954. Wow, that's great. Great stuff. Now, here's yeah. the, here's the point about the Frank Robinson managing thing, and it also shows you from 1987 when Frank Robinson was the manager at AAA to 2001 or two when I'm down in Durham and Joe Coleman's the pitching coach and Richie Hebner's the batting coach. And I forget the name of the, the manager. Was it Bill Campbell or Bill? Oh God, I can't remember his name anyway. But the point of this story is when I asked Potter, I said, so, so he was your manager. I said, who was your pitching coach? He goes, we didn't have pitching coaches back then. Right. Right. When did a when did teams start placing automatically a pitching coach and a batting coach at every minor league uh, level? It because was, that, it was certainly it was certainly during or just after my tenure as a full time baseball writer. Right. So it's in the nineties. They would have yeah because they would have a roving pitching instructor. Right. 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 And he and he would make his way because a lot of a lot of the like especially a franchise like the Orioles had their teams all in the same general area. Right. And it was easy for the pitching coach to just go place to place. Hey, I wanted to spin back to the Boston Red Sox for a second. So I'm reading MLB trade. We're talking to Mike Shallon. He writes for the New Hampshire Union Leader. He's a columnist there. He also writes books. And by the way, congratulations. Is it anniversary number six on your Don Mattingly book? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, a picture a picture showed up on you know on Facebook the yeah. other day reminding me that your friend Mike Shallon posted this six years ago. Uh, how did that book do the the Don Mattingly book? Oh, it, you know, it did like most sports books. It did okay. You it know, did I mean, okay, but it unless, did... unless you're John, unless you're John Feinstein or you're you know whatever. Right. Uh, we 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 do books purely for the love of the craft. For the love <laughs> of the craft. And how's the hometown team doing? The same. All right. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to comment on the how our publisher handled the book, but um, yeah, yeah, we're very proud of the project. Well, I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one thing. I have a young lady that went to Yale University, and her boyfriend, significant other, uh, is a Red Sox and Patriot and Celtic and Bruin fan, and they live here in Baltimore. And uh, he he's done a number of things for us here at Press Box, and his and his. And Jen, his wife and girlfriend uh, slash uh, significant other, she's done a number of things. I wanted to get him a special gift, and I bought him that uh, copy of that book. And sometime I'll try and have him come up and find you at Fenway Park to autograph it. But he absolutely, and this is a lifelong Red Sox fan, he absolutely loved that book, The Hometown Team. Well, I appreciate hearing that. All right. Now, Getting back to the Red Sox, I'm yep. reading MLB trade rumors this morning, and it says they, the Red Sox and Xander Bogarts didn't really gain any traction on some extension talks. And then it said it's a possibility in light of the way the free agent market has gone that maybe they can restart something. Do you expect, not necessarily Bogarts, but some players that are on the precipice of free agency that they may be more inclined to to almost proactively reach out to their clubs to try and start uh, talking about a contract extension rather than going into free agency. Well, it happened twice this week. Yeah, uh, Nola, Nola and Severino, right. um, both very um, uh, team friendly deals. 
no question about it. It removes that that that, that unknown of, of arbitration. You know, I remember Marvin Miller talking about how it was actually the owner's idea to come up with with uh, with uh, arbitration, and and uh, Marvin sat there like the like you know the the, the villain, you know, twir- twiddling his mustache because he was so happy to hear them say that, right? Because he knew what it would lead to, and. Um, uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of that. I think there already is. In fact, the Twins did it this week with two guys too. They did um, it with. They bought out some arbitration on Max yeah. Kepler and Jorge uh, Polanco, George Polanco. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. How about guys like Bogarts? Who this is Bogarts' last year before free agency. Anthony Rendon. Might they look around and really say, you know what, uh, the security of a five-year, ninety or a hundred million-dollar contract? It's a lot better than betting on a $200 million contract. Well, I think with the Stars, you're going to see the teams doing that. Right. And, and, and the player's not going for it. You know, there's still, there's still that um, hovering uh, uh, players association mm-hmm. where you can't give in to, uh, to a lower deal. And that's, that's, you know, you see Harper and Machado out, still out there. Right. Uh, there's there's a uh, there's a uh, bar a norm if you will that if you take less then the owners win so I don't you know I, now first of all I don't I consider Arenado much on a much higher plane than than Bogarts and, and Zander's a very good player um, but the, the Red Sox are in a situation where it's going to be interesting to see how many of these guys they can in fact take care of you know because Mookie's already at twenty million right. And he's got another. Uh, he's got another arbitration year to come. So, um, it, it's. Uh, in fact, I was reading uh, my old friend Murray Chass. You know, he writes uh, his own kind of his own website column, and to him, this whole thing sounds like collusion all over again. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not surprised to hear him say that because you know Murray was a Murray was he, right in the heart of that. Yeah, yeah, he was a big union guy, yep. and and. Uh, uh, some of this stuff is a little shady to me, but I understand it. I mean, I understand they're trying to make market correction, but you know, when you see these guys that are a hundred players or whatever that are still out there, and it's the you know uh, the Marlon Gonzalez's of the world who are really suffering, yeah. you know, and and uh, you know Harper and Machado are going to settle for some kind of deals at some point, right? And they're going to get they're going to get a lot of money. You know, yeah, but but are there as much as they wanted? But you know, there are a whole host of players at that level, at Marwin Gonzalez, and down a notch or two that should yeah. be in camps right now. There's no question exactly. about it. Yeah, because not only not only are these guys um, valuable to your team, right? But they're not as naturally talented as Harper and Machado, so they need they need to get in there and get their at bats. And and you, you saw it with a lot of guys last year, pitchers included, like like Cobb in Baltimore, guys that, that came in late didn't do well. You know, players love to kind of make fun of spring training, and by the fifth day they're ready to go and all this other nonsense. But the fact of the matter is, they need those practice games to get ready for the real thing, and and it's uh, it's hurting every one of them. I'll give you. Teams. I'll give you a yeah. good. I'll give you a good column to write, and I don't know whether you. I, I'm guessing you know this, but have you read much on the new lawyer that uh, MLB uh, PA has hired, Bruce Meyer? No. Uh, start doing a little research on that. This is the toughest negotiator they've had since Don Fear left. 
they brought him in. He's had extensive uh, experience in the NHL and other leagues. And they, they, you know, there's no question that Tony Clark got his hat handed to him by uh, Rob Manfred. Yeah. Uh, and I think that'd be an interesting column this time of year right now because I found it fascinating, and I wonder if you did, uh, Mike, and we're talking with Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union leaders, also official scorer at Fenway Park for about half their games there, is uh, we've still got three more seasons under this basic agreement, yet the own, yet management – actually reached out to the Players Association, almost anticipating that this is going to be a hard nut to crack in three years, and they, they've started a dialogue now, uh, you know, with some rule changes and some things like that. Clearly, they're not, they're not hitting the major issues, but I think the sign, the fact that they're reaching out three years early and got a quick response from the union with, hey, we like this, we don't like that, uh, I think it's actually a good, a positive sign because clearly this next basic agreement is going to have a lot of changes to it. I, I hate to say this, and I hate to rain on your parade, but I disagree. I think um, I think storm clouds are coming. And um, I wrote that I wrote that column for uh, another publication we have called Jaymore here in Baltimore, and it was the well, wind, the winds of war. And yeah. as I was writing that column. That's when MLB was reaching out to the Players Association. I think, I think they they realize there's so much danger three years down the road that they may try and get an opener in this thing and make institute a couple changes and have some dialogue. Well, you know, a lot of that depends on what get in, what gets instituted and what gets negotiated. Which right. Is, which is why, which you know, I thought that the. Um, uh, the DH thing, which I've long been against the DH, but it is it is time to have one yeah one rule for for all of baseball uh, that can't happen until the new basic agreement that tells you right there that there's going to be a contentious negotiation because you know with with that is going to be probably and one of the proposals too is a 26 man roster when yep. you're dealing with you're dealing with uh, you know, with the DH is going to be a guy who's not going to be making the minimum, probably. And, and right. Adding, I think you, another salary. I think you're talking about adding 45 new jobs to the uh, to the union, uh, and I think that the players are going to like that and grab onto that thread and pull in some other areas. Mike, I'd yep. love to talk more about this. Can we do it in a few weeks? Anytime. All right, Mike Shallon, New Hampshire Union leader. You can read his column online, and he also is the official scorer at Fenway Park, and he's a friend of the show. Thank you very much, Mike. Take care, sir. Appreciate it.